This is uh, Advent time, and uh, remember last week we went through uh, the uh, Advent where we talked about hope, that we are to be hope in a hurting world, and then we talked about the fact that we're living in this space, we're living in this time in between, the in-between time of when Jesus came the first time, when he came and paid the penalty for all of our sins, and then that second time that he will come to return to make everything right again. And so this time that we're living in is a kind of a strange time. It's uh, this present time is full of violence. It's full of discord. Even on the way into church this morning, I turned on the news just to see what uh, was happening in our world. There was story after story after story of violence and things going on in our world and in our communities. So the second week of Advent is all about peace. And it seems to us that peace, uh, like we're going to be talking about, might even be a little bit of a fairy tale, uh, especially the peace that allows all of us to be unified and have one voice and one mind together. It seems impossible for us to have that kind of peace that we're going to read here in just a little bit that the Apostle Paul talked about. Uh, in today's scripture. But this is the Sunday that we lit the peace candle. And didn't Jared and Charlie do an amazing job this morning? They did an incredible job, absolutely. It really tugged on my heart to hear them talk about a world of peace. And uh, isn't that, it was just so convicting uh, to me this morning. So this is the week that we focus on peace. We focus on the peace that Jesus expects of us, his church, and it begins with us and uh, how even in the midst of conflict that we are called to be the people of peace on this world or in this earth. Our scripture for the second week of Advent comes from the 15th chapter of the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. We'll get there in a little bit. The 15th chapter of Romans. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul a long time ago. It was probably about 30 years-ish, 30 years or so after Jesus' resurrection. It was written to a church full of new believers in, uh, in Christ. It was written to this new Christian church in Rome. And it was intended that this letter would give them direction, it would give them encouragement and advice on how to live in this new faith and following Jesus. So remember during that time, the church was made up of different groups of people. The church was made up of Jewish believers that now recognize that Jesus was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And it was also made up of non Jewish believers called Gentiles who left a life of not believing in anything or they left a life of worshiping pagan gods or false gods. And so here they were all mixed up into this, this new church. And at times these two groups didn't get along very well. And at times it caused a little bit of a stink within the church and the Jewish believers thought that you needed to behave a certain way, and the Gentile believers were never used to those rules. And so they didn't understand any of those things. And so it was the Jewish believers that said, now wait a second, 
We're supposed to be behaving a, a certain way, and you Gentiles aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. You aren't following the rules. And it was the Gentiles that said, why are you so stuck in your old ways? We don't understand. And so as in any church, there, there was this bickering going back and forth between the believers. And so Paul addresses them in this letter, and we're going to pick up this letter in chapter 15. Let's go ahead and read starting in verse 4. The scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God who gives us this patience and encouragement help you to live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to the ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. That is what the psalmist meant when he wrote for this, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it's written, rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And in another place, Isaiah said, the heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles and they will place their hope on him. Paul continues, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So here we have uh, the Apostle Paul, and he's kind of laying out the instructions to the church on how we ought to live with one another. And basically he's saying those that are strong in their faith need to have patience with those that are just starting out. And we need to care for our neighbors. He's saying we need to have the same attitude as Jesus towards one another. And Paul is teaching here that peace is not about winning an argument. Peace is not about removing conflict from our life. It's not even about avoiding a tough conversation. It doesn't mean that we sidestep a time for hard words with one another, if the situation warrants it. Now, the peace that, that Paul is teaching about is more about aligning our attitude with Christ. And this is the foundation of living in a community with one another. But first, we're going to put this chapter in context here. Remember, Paul was writing to the early church in Rome. And it was, it was obvious that there was some sort of rift. There was this argument that was going on within that church. And uh, it was bound to happen. But the problem was, write this down, number one. The members of the church in Rome were allowing their disagreements to divide them. They were allowing their disagreements to divide them. Paul probably could have used a variety of, 
of different examples to illustrate this point. This wasn't the only argument going on. It wasn't the only thing. Because we have different personal preferences about church, we too think that, don't we? We think church should look like this. Or somebody else said, no, I don't believe that. I believe it should look this way. And so here we have the context of chapter 15 was made back in chapter 14. And when you have some time, go back and read chapter 14 uh, to understand exactly what Paul is talking about in chapter 15. The disagreement was about what you were allowed to eat and what you were not allowed to eat. Now, thankfully, this isn't too much of an argument for us here at PFN, is it? As far as I know, uh, we didn't have any fist fights on Thanksgiving because somebody took too much potato salad. Didn't happen. There were quite a few of you that brought deviled eggs that I need to have a stern talking to. But uh, other than that, it was a peaceful day, right? The church in Rome, there were people that thought that you should only eat vegetables, while others thought that anything was allowed to eat, uh, veggies and meat, it didn't matter. You could eat anything. See, there, was, there were, at the time, there were people that thought you shouldn't eat meat because meat in, was common in other religions, in these pagan religions, to be, be sacrificed to a false god or idol. And then people would consume that meat. And so some people in the early church thought that we need to distance ourselves from that practice. We can't be like them. Therefore, we shouldn't eat meat. Now, this wasn't the only time that Paul had to bring this up. This wasn't the only church that was struggling with this issue. He wrote to the church in Corinth, which is a city in modern day Greece. And he told those believers pretty much the same thing that he told these believers in Rome. That you could go ahead and eat meat, even if it was sacrificed to an idol, because, well, idols aren't real. Those gods aren't real, so who cares? There's only one God, and that's our God. And so he told them that whether or not they eat meat doesn't really matter. Just don't be a stumbling block to those people who disagree with you. And so back in Rome, this, there was this group of people that didn't think eating meat was a problem. They said, I, you know, I don't care what those other guys are doing. It doesn't affect my faith in Jesus at all. And when I'm hungry, if I want a hamburger, I'm going to eat a hamburger, right? And there was this other group that saw that eating meat as idol worship. And they say, you can't eat hamburger because if you do, you're no different than those people. So what sets you apart from them? See, it seems like a trivial argument to us today. We don't quite understand this, but this was a huge issue and this was a breaking point for the early church. Both sides of the argument started judging the other side. And saying, our way is the correct way to worship. No, our way is the correct way to worship. And Paul tells them, time out. Just hang on a second here, guys. I think you're making something else more important 
than worshiping God. And so Paul here is warning them. He says, hey, you know, just be careful here. You know the meat is okay to eat. You get it because you understand there is no other God besides our God. But there are those around you that don't get it yet. They don't understand. They don't see themselves as doing anything wrong. So ask yourself, is this issue? Is eating meat really that important? Or are you becoming a stumbling block to others to believe because you insist on doing things the way that you, you are doing it? And so later here in the letter to Romans, Paul tells those that are strong in their faith. He says to look out for the well-being of those that are just starting out. See, Paul is reorienting the church. He's reorienting those people of strong faith. And he's saying the focus shouldn't be on what's best for me, meaning whether I eat meat or not. But it should be what's best for my neighbors. What builds up the church, what builds up the community. And basically, Paul is saying, pick your argument. He's saying, choose what hill you're going to die on here. Remember that your witness to those around you is more important than any of our personal preferences. There are people here. It's not just issues to argue about. And so Paul is talking to the church, the followers of Jesus, these new followers of Jesus, of the importance of what it looks like to be submissive and to be selfless. He's teaching the church that to be a peacemaker means that we focus on how we are living in our community. To live in a community means that we are looking out for the well-being of other people. To live in a community means that at times we need to put aside our own desires in order to build the community up as a whole. And Paul is saying, hey, not everybody's going to agree with you. In fact, in church, there probably is going to be a whole lot of disagreements on what best practices look like. But Paul is a good teacher here. And he tells, him not o- tells the people not only the what, but he instructs them as to the why they should be looking or thinking this way. So number two is this. Though the community of faith disagrees, the foundation is the same. See, being of one mind, being of one voice together can only happen out of being born in Christ-likeness. See, Christ is our example of love. Christ is our example of compassion. He is the example of how we should be caring for one another. If you want to see what submission looks like, well, then look at the life of Jesus. If you need a reminder of what sacrifice looks like, then just watch Jesus. If you need to know what selflessness looks like, then just look to Jesus. He'll show you through his example. And as we spend time with Jesus, we grow and we should be coming more and more like him. That is supposed to be the end result. 
That is the desire of our Father, for us to become more and more like his Son, Jesus. We become people of one mind and one voice because we have spent time together as a body of believers with Jesus. We are united not because we agree on everything, but because we have the same foundation of our beliefs. Accepting one another doesn't happen in a vacuum. We do it because we have first been accepted by Christ. As we become more like Jesus together, church, we align ourselves with the mind of Christ. Think about it this way. When you became a Christian, did you have the same thought process? Did you have the exact same beliefs as you do today after you've grown with Christ? Probably not. See, your mindset has evolved from the time that you first knew who Jesus was. And even though you didn't have a theology degree, Jesus accepted every one of us exactly right where we were at at that moment. A feeble faith. Even if our attitude didn't align with his. So we too should be accepting of those with feeble faith. Or we should be accepting of those with no faith yet at all. Because they haven't been convicted of the ways of Jesus yet. Our love should flow out to all people. Whether or not we agree with them, because that is exactly what happened to us. Aren't you glad that Jesus still accepted you before you had the attitude of Christ? See, Paul reminds us that Jesus became a servant in order to glorify God. Therefore, we become servants for one another because we see the example of Christ. Well, here's maybe the point that Paul was getting to in this passage, number three here. Even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of conflict, our call is still to become more like Christ. See, Paul didn't avoid the argument. Paul wasn't a, afraid at this time to, to tell it like it is. He's calling the church to do something greater than how they were living. And so Paul calls out their favoritism. And he tells them, instead, you need to be elevating one another. He calls out the church for their judgmentalism. And he tells them, embrace everyone. He calls out an exclusionary system and tells them to look upon others the way that Christ looked upon them. But wouldn't it be easier... Wouldn't it be easier for us just to live in unity if all of us thought the same or if there was never any conflict? Of course. But you know that's not going to happen, right? We know that. We think differently. People are people. There are always going to be people that like deviled eggs. <laughs> even if you're wrong. <laughs> right? There's always going to be Packer fans. And bear fans. 
There's going to be conservatives and liberals. There's going to be people who like hymns. There's going to be people who enjoy contemporary worship music. See, Paul isn't avoiding conflict here. He's talking into the conflict because he knows that the the way to true peace in a community is to confront the things that are keeping the community of faith from looking like Jesus. See, whether or not they should eat meat wasn't the biggest issue of the time. The biggest issue was the church was treating one another, how the church was treating one another was the larger concern of Paul's. The way we live in community is not to ignore the issues, but be reminded of whom we are called to be like. Communities, even our community, even a community of faith are full of people with different opinions. And thank the Lord for that. And we all have deep feelings about very important issue. And it would be easier, it would be a whole lot easier for us all to think the same way or maybe even just stay quiet in order to bring peace. But Paul laid out a different way for us. See, Paul even had to use some harsh words. But his call was ultimately a reminder to the church to remember who we are. He didn't ignore the conflict. Paul waded right into it. And he said, remember, friends, we are to be like Christ first. We are to love like him. We are to serve like him. We are to care like him. We need to keep the most important thing, the first thing. He says, you know, we live in a days, or we live in days of seemingly extreme division, don't we? Just turn on the news. Just try to have a conversation about politics at Christmas. You'll understand, right? We don't need to ignore it, but we need to ask ourselves, if peace on earth depends on me, what do I need to change in my life so that I can become a peacemaker? If God extended grace and mercy to me, then where do I need to extend grace and mercy? See, it's too easy for us to make our walk of Jesus just this list of things that we should do or shouldn't do. But our call as Christians should be to look at the person of who Jesus is and then of whom we're supposed to be in our world. We are supposed to look like Christ. See, as a pastor, there's not a week that goes by that I don't have a conversation with someone about someone else. And the issue that they're upset about is rarely the real issue. Now, I usually say something like, you know what, I'm here talking to you today, and so I'm only hearing one side of the story, but if the other person were here, I would tell them the exact same thing. I would ask them this exact same question. When was the last time you prayed for them? I've been through this personally so many times. And the reason that I was upset with somebody else was triggered by the issue at hand. But the real issue, 
The real issue is that I took my eyes off Jesus. I took my eyes off of who I was supposed to be. And I had to do some really hard work of examining my heart and figuring out just where these feelings were coming from. I had to do the hard work and even walk through that conflict with someone that thought differently than I did. And I had to do the hard work to lay aside any of my grievances long enough for Jesus to change, not them, but me, to change my heart about that person because I am part of a community of faith. I'm part of a community of peace. I'm part of a community of Christ with one voice that is supposed to be used to glorify God. And I found my voice wasn't glorifying him at all. So I ask, are we people of peace? The best part of Christmas for me isn't the lights and and the decorations and all that. I can take or, or leave any of that stuff. The best part of Christmas, it seems for me, if even for a short while during this, this time, is it seems like the reorienting of all people to start looking out for one another. Do you see that happening on Christmas time? Some people call that the Christmas spirit. I call it the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who is reminding us to become more and more like the one that was born on Christmas Day. That's how we can become the people of peace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, first of all, for a church full of kids. We thank you, Lord, for trusting us enough to take care of these children. Lord, we thank you for a team, Pastor Shauna and Miss Chris and all of their team who week after week after week serve the littlest of us. And so, Lord, it, is, it just brings a smile to my face to, to see these kids praising you and singing about their love that they have for you. So thank you, Lord, that PFN is a place where we can introduce and help flourish this love of Jesus. But Lord, also remind us, as Charlie and Jared did earlier ago, that peace depends on us. And we truly will never have peace. We will never have unity. We will never have one voice and one mind if we take our eyes off you and start living our own way. Lord, help us as a church to always look to you first to keep the most important thing the first thing. Lord, so help us not to avoid the conflict, not to avoid the conversation or the the hard words that we may need to say, but Lord, that we would keep you in the middle of that conversation. Help point both sides towards you so that we can have peace. Jesus, you can do this. Only you can do this, but you do it through us. Thank you, Lord, for calling your church. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be the people of peace. 
And so, Lord, I pray that we would take that candle of peace into our hurting world this week, that we would remember once again, before we get out of the car, before we make that phone call, before we have that conversation, that we are Jesus in a hurting world. We get to be the people of peace. So help us to do that, Jesus. We love you. We want to glorify you and honor you through our actions this week. Thank you for being the head of the church and allowing us to be the church. It's in your wonderful and incredible name that we pray. And all of us say together, amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, go uh, give a congratulations to all those kids. Remember, you want to see uh, some real entertainment? Watch them the second time around. Or, uh, go, go to Summit today and watch our incredible orchestra. Have a great Sunday. Love you guys. <laughs>